Welcome to The Practice Podcast, a show created by lawyers to help lawyers in life and business without all the complicated lawyer language. Let's welcome Bast Amron founders and your hosts, Jeff Bast and Brett Amron. Hi, Brett. Hi, Jeff. How are you? Today on this fine Thursday. We're recording on a Thursday. We're time stamping everything these days. That's good. No, I, I didn't like give that. a date, except I am going to say that my son's graduating high school tomorrow. Congratulations so to, Max. to Max Bass. For making it. And one to Micah for and graduating And for Micah Bast. Yeah. And to Jeff and Jale Bast. Well, thank you for that. That's very kind. Parents of the millennium. Well, I appreciate that. I'll accept that award on behalf of Jale because really she would be the one to- This is true. To have earned This it. is true. I was just giving you some, some yeah. props because you're in front of me. Anyway, how are you? Uh, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> Excellent. Well, we I'm excited because we have a great guest today. Hakeem Lakdar. Hakeem is an executive career and leadership coach, and he's the founder of Lakdar Coaching. He is not a lawyer, but spent over 15 years working in the legal profession. He developed professional and executive education programs at little-known institutions such as the American Bar Association. I'm sorry, what, how do you spell that? Yeah. Okay, thank you. Harvard Law School. Never heard of it. And the University of Miami School of Law. Finest now, institution in the country. In that, on that list for sure. Right? Oh, yeah. Now he works as an NLP certified executive coach who's also certified in conversational hypnosis. Be careful, Brett, today. Time techniques. Time is time integration for maximum empowerment techniques, EFT tapping, as well as success in life coaching. He helps high-performing professionals effectively resolve leadership dilemmas and navigate career transitions so that they can obtain the career and life fulfillment that they've always desired. But I think Hakeem would say that he's first a family man. He's a husband and a father of identical twin boys, and he incorporates his love of people and professional experience into his passion for coaching leaders to effectively lead themselves and others with clarity, confidence, and compassion. Welcome, Hakeem. Thank you so much. Wow. Yes. Yeah. Did you know? I love that. Welcome. Did you know all that? Yeah. yeah. No, I didn't know all that. Wanted to do that again? We yeah. Can, yeah. We can no, start I'm going to take that soundbite for sure. All right. By the way, hypnosis, I, I am hypnotized no, let's, let's just every there. day <laughs> by my partner. Oh. <laughs> and just, just watching him, I, it, it hypnotizes me left and right. So. I think you might be confusing hypnosis with, you know, awe and enamor and <laughs> all of those apply <laughs> for sure. You want to talk about hypnosis? What is what does that mean conversational hypnosis? Yeah, it's sort of I mean, especially the NLP stuff, it's really about the usage of language to evoke a certain emotion in people to take them to a place so that they can kind of step outside themselves hmm. and address a situation or a reaction or a response that they've had to something beyond their immediate reaction for people to get outside themselves a bit. So it's you helping a client or Mm -hmm. somebody you're working with to sort of maybe step outside of the, we always say this, right? Step outside of the picture frame and look at the situation that they're in and help them kind of assess it. Is that? Absolutely right. Yeah, I think sometimes people are so wrapped up in either the, particular situation that they're in mm-hmm. or just day to day that it's kind of challenging to step outside of yourself and reflect on your response to things or how pe- how things are making you feel and then how that's then affecting your decision making and your perception and the way you process information so to be able to step outside of that even momentarily gives you a little opportunity to reflect and sort of say well, if I did it again would I do it that way and do you primarily work with lawyers or in the legal profession do you work with 
business owners? Who primarily you're working with? We can start with, for now, just the hypnosis, the conversational hypnosis. And there's no focus on any one of those right. certifications. You, these mm-hmm. are just tools. Those are just tools, tools. And, yeah. and things yeah. I've incorporated right. into coaching. And they come up. Sometimes they don't come up. Right. But, I mean, sort of broadly who I work with, given the fact that I've been in the legal profession for over 15 years, mm-hmm. lawyers naturally find me. I understand the profession. I mean, we used to... At, one of our research centers that I was working with at Harvard, we used to have like an unofficial tagline where we study lawyers, not law. So it was really about the psychology of lawyers, the sociology, the understanding of management structure and the impact of leadership on the legal profession, globalization, et cetera. So my understanding of the global legal profession is pretty vast. So at least when we're having a conversation, there's a baseline there. So yeah. Lawyers are naturally attracted to my background, but one of the reasons why I started the company was so that I could have access to professionals across the industries. Fantastic. So, and how'd you find your way 15 years in the legal profession? You didn't go to law school. How, how, like, how'd you find your way I there? I just took a wrong turn down one street in DC <laughs> and I was at the steps of the ABA. Well, uh, in DC, it's hard to not find a lawyer, yeah, right? So, yeah. You know, I actually started with the American Bar Association as an international recruiter. But I had a background in Middle East studies and Islamic law. So when people got wind of that, they said, oh, any interest in doing programming for Kyrgyzstan and Tajikistan? I said, you have to spell that for me. (laughs) And I said, yeah, absolutely, sure. So I started helping to draft and design multi-million dollar legal reform programs that we would shop through USAID and all of the other, you know, Alphabet Soups organization that Mm -hmm. we have in D.C., and next thing I knew, I was on a plane to Bishkek, Kyrgyzstan. And there I am standing in my office with a bunch of lawyers from our field office, having phenomenal meetings, doing a retreat, you know, teaching them about professionalism, about how to present effectively, how to interact with dignitaries and diplomats they'd be meeting on behalf of the ABA. And that's where I actually fell in love with coaching. Right. But those are non-lawyers, those people. No, they were lawyers. Those, those are lawyers that you were coaching? They were all lawyers, yep. U.S. Wow. lawyers that were over there? Some are yeah. U.S. Uh-huh. and some are national, local I national see. lawyers, yep. Wow, fantastic. Wow, yeah. wow. <laughs> I mean, that's, imp- that's amazing to find yourself yeah. in that position, sort of starting on a clean slate almost in those countries, right? And having to build up like you said, teach people professionalism and how to engage yeah. with other people in even something as simple as a negotiation or you know retention of a lawyer. Yeah, you know? I mean, we even had a program because we were trying to reach, it was a street law program where we, were, we actually had engaged a theater troupe and mm-hmm. would take this theater troupe up into the mountains and teach, you know, sort of the rural residents about their legal rights through theater. And there was just these creative programs that I found so wow. fascinating. Again, not needing to know black letter law, not needing right. to be a lawyer right. that I could really sink my teeth into. And I and I love the fact that, you know, again, the stands are not on your short list of spring break, spring break destinations. Right. So to be in Tajikistan or Kyrgyzstan working on these programs right. was an amazing opportunity. That's cool. You know, that theater, you know, that concept to me, like reminds me of just the idea that we effectively meet our clients if we meet them where they are. Or whoever your listeners, you got to find them where they are and speak to them in their language. And I don't mean you know literal language, but in words that they understand. Right. Because I think a lot of lawyers forget that non-lawyers don't understand a lot of the words that we're using at all. Yeah. On, on a normal basis, and so this idea of theater, I think maybe we could create a Bast Amron theater theatrical <laughs> group. I'm willing to try it. 
<laughs> okay. Brett's looking. No, I, I, think, I think that would be interesting. Yeah. There's an element also of that in coaching. I mean, sure. The, yeah. the, the ability to speak in a language that's going to be received yeah. in the way it's intended rather than, again, right. these are certifications, this is lifelong learning, these are classes I've taken, ways in right. which I've kind of expanded my toolkit. Sure. But at the end of the day, it's really about meeting people where they are. It's, it's really, I mean, it's the art of communication. That's right. Right. Exactly right. And so what was your background to sort of get you to that point that you walked up to the ABA and sort of started down this path? Yeah, it's a great question. I think I was asked this question the other day. Someone asked me, you know, so when did you start coaching? And I sort of half jokingly say, when I was seven years old. I was the guy whose friend got picked last for kickball or didn't get picked at all. And I'd bow out and say, you know, I'm going to go walk the fence line with my buddy. Right. And we'd go walk the fence line. I'd be like, hey, you know, getting picked last for kickball doesn't define you. And, you know, you're still a great athlete. And it's just just sort of naturally who I've always been. Where'd you get Um, that? Uh, my parents. Your parents? Yeah. Do you have, are you, do you have siblings? I do have a younger brother. Younger yeah. brother. Yeah. So you're the older, so it wasn't a sibling, right? Yeah. That yeah. taught you that. Yeah. Cool. Dad from Morocco, mom from the U.S. So, I mean, I got a, a really beautiful blend of sort of American upbringing plus a dose of Middle East and North African influence. And, you know, these are passionate people. Yeah. These are, you know, people who are expressive and really value opportunities to connect and communicate. And, and I've really sort of embodied that. So seven years old, you started it, and then <laughs> was there a, another transition? Or formed his first LLC? Set up shop right. shop. <laughs> he had one of those uh, peanuts, you know, the yeah. little desk yeah. with yeah. Five, five cents right. for advice right. or whatever it is. Exactly. Yeah. It's funny because even from there, I, when I when I trace it back in middle school, this was a couple of years later. There was an opportunity to be a peer counselor, mm. and only boy in the class. And I thought, okay, well. This, you were the only boy in your the class? Only, the only boy in this peer, peer oh, in the peer class. council class, right? Yeah. And I thought, I'm game. This sounds like fun. And what I found out was it was an opportunity to be available and to counsel my peers in middle school mm-hmm. through parents separating, through challenges in their lives, whatever it might be. And then there was also this really challenging element of conflict mediation, where I'd be out at lunch with all my buddies and I'd watch a fight break out. And then Hours later, I'd be sitting in a room with those two people having to mediate what just happened wow. in lunchroom and have them sign a document. I think back then, I'm like, what was I thinking? Why didn't I just sit out there playing tetherball? Right. <laughs> well, so, so That's amazing. God, what an interesting I program. Yeah. I mean, how progressive yeah. that program is. I would it'd be interested to see if any schools are doing that today. But for you, I don't find it surprising that you were the only boy in middle school that chose to do that because, right, having boys and girls, and I know Jeff does too, they... Girls are way more mature. And for you to be at that age and say, no, nah, I think I'm going to do this, right? Most boys are going to be out playing tetherball sure. on the playground. I was pretty good at tetherball too, I might add. <laughs> so you, so you, already, you already conquered that. <laughs> and so you're like, no, let me do this. I just, I think what I've found, and again, I think this was instilled in me from my parents is this idea of like, never stop growing. Mm-hmm. You know, look for those opportunities to evolve, to expand, to give back, to create impact. And I saw that as a way to do that. All right. So we're taking the long version of this story, by the way. We started in seven years old and then we went to middle school. <laughs> from middle school, is right. there another launch or is it right from middle school to the ABA? No, I, I think it's, it's I'm interested. In it, but from middle school, you go right to the ABA or what? 
No, I'm kidding. No. <laughs> Walked so, up at 14. Right. I mean, what, are we going to start talking about how I used to play at Irish Kevin's and keep There we go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that's that, where I was trying to get No, to. we're going to get there. Yeah. We're going to get no, there. No, I mean, I think throughout my young life, there were always opportunities to be available to my friends, to be that friend who would walk down a couple of houses and sit on the stoop with my best friend and we'd talk for hours about what's going on with him and his girlfriend or, you know, how his parents are doing and how it's affecting him. And they were just conversations. And yeah. we could have talked about baseball stats. I mean, I could have done that too. Right. But, but there just seemed like there was a lot more value and a lot more depth to mm. giving space to that. Yeah, you're and, a born coach. And it just felt right. It felt natural. And I liked the fact that people recognized that in me and they felt comfortable and trusted me enough to have those conversations. So it felt like like something I was meant to do. But of course, I mean, I, I like socializing. I like being out there. And, you know, I went to Florida State University. And while I was there, I ended up pairing up with a buddy of mine who was playing acoustic guitar. And we became this acoustic duo. And oh, I yeah. said, all right, I like connecting with people one-on-one. What's it going to be like connecting with people in a crowd with a yeah. guitar over my shoulder? Yeah. And there's nothing like it. I mean, what a feeling. That's cool. So you took that path for a bit? I did, yeah. We played all throughout the Southeast toward mm-hmm. a bunch of college campuses, and we did game-watching parties and sorority and fraternity functions, and then we were down in Key West for spring break, I think, and there was a break in the show, and you know we might have had a couple drinks down there, and we had the opportunity to go up and play. So we played a song in between the set break, and Kevin, who owned, owned Irish Kevin's at the time, came over and said, you guys are pretty good. Why don't you guys come back, and we'll uh, set you up as a featured act. So I said, I'm graduating in a couple months. You can expect me here. <laughs> so we went down there and had a life of rock and roll for a little while. It was awesome. And what was the name of your duo? Famous, actually. Famous. Famous. I like it. Yeah. Spelled. Aspirational. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. So, like, how does somebody arrive at the, you know, at the place where they realize they need a coach? Does somebody know they need a coach or are they told they need a coach? That's a great you know? question. So, and I've been playing with this a little bit lately yeah. too myself because there's an element of leadership to coaching, obviously. I mean, you are there to lead your clients. Right. I'm not going to lead you all the way. I'm going to guide you, probably is a better word. But early on, when you're having that conversation about the value of coaching and if this is a good opportunity for you, mm-hmm. there's an element of leading. Some need it, some don't. I think some know they've been educated enough about what coaching is and its value right. at certain points in your career, and they're all in. So they just want to make sure that there's a connection. They want to make sure there's a fit. They want to make sure that they can trust you and that they're going to enjoy talking to you every right. week for 60 minutes. Yeah. And then they're all in. Others, they hem and haw a little bit. You know, they sort of give you a couple of breadcrumbs about here are my challenges, but then they pull back. And then you just create that space. Again, it's back to sort of creating the container for them to just be with whatever they need to be with so that they can then come to the conclusion on their own. Wow, this 60 minutes I spent with you just now was really powerful. I want more of these. Hmm. So you're effectively, I mean, not diminishing in any way, but you're like a, a mirror, basically, for well, a lot of your clients. I use like that all clients. the time, Jeff. Yeah, no, it's a great... You're thing. reflecting on them, like what, you're helping them see in themselves what maybe they don't see. 100%. Otherwise. I mean, I, there are times where I literally will repeat back to a client what they just said to me to get their reaction, and then they make this face, and I say, well, how funny you made a face. I just repeated back verbatim what you said to me, and you don't like the way it sounds. How do you think your direct reports feel about that then? Right. Mm. Yeah. Mirror is not diminishing at all. It's very much that. Right. But it's doing so with powerful follow-up questions, kind of pushing them to then explore that a little bit deeper. Why was your reaction that way? Where else are you doing that? That kind of thing. 
Yeah, I would imagine for someone who's struggling, like leaders that are struggling with some dilemma or going through some transition, you know, changing jobs, whatever it is, divorce, I don't know, that that's, those are sort of easy targets. Are there other people, like categories of, let's start with lawyers just for purposes of sure. keeping this controllable, but are there categories of lawyers that, you know, should be working with a coach? Like, should every lawyer be working with a coach right now? I mean, I'm biased. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, of course, there's value. I have two right. coaches myself. I have my own coach who's amazing, and we talk about everything under the sun. And mm. I have a business coach as well. Right. So, I've always invested in coaches. And even when I left HLS, as I was leaving Harvard, they said, We'd like to set you up with a coach. And I said, Why would you set me up for with a coach? I'm leaving. They said, You've been good to us. And we want, to see you land on your feet wherever you end up going next. Really? Wow. And I love that. An amazing gesture. That's a, that's yeah. a, yeah. Is yeah. that a typical practice for I don't, I don't you know, know if it is. I don't, I don't think. I don't, so they introduce you to a coach. Yep. And you've been working with that coach? No, it was a different coach. Oh, okay. Yeah, we just had a, a sort of a you know compressed engagement right. as I right. was still up in Cambridge right. area. Mm-hmm. Had my twins, packed up the apartment and moved. But prior to that, leading up to that, I had to work with a coach and it was a great experience. But to answer your question about easy targets, they're actually not the easy targets because they're less receptive sometimes to the idea of being vulnerable. Right. Lawyers, you mean, in general? or Lawyers, but lawyers specifically who are going through transitions. Right. And it can be professional transitions or life personal transitions. But in those moments, sometimes they don't want to talk to anybody. They should. It could be really beneficial, but they're not actually easy targets, not as easy as one would think. Right. Because there's not as much openness to the idea of sitting down and putting it all on the table. And I mean, it's occupational hazard, right? Like our job in a lot of what we do is to remove the emotion for our clients, right? Our clients come to us in some respects emotional, and it's our job to be dispassionate, no, not emotional in terms of the issue, right? Like, yes, if we're standing in court and we're making a pitch in mediation, like we want to be emotional and, and portray that. But our job is to give advice, not based on emotion, but based yeah. on, you know, rote law and, and, you know, exposures and liabilities, things like that. So it is being a lawyer and we've gone through coaching and gone all that stuff, but it's, it is hard to sort of bust through that barrier and be vulnerable. And so, you know, I would imagine that I understand why you're saying like that's hard to do. I mean, that's hard to bust through, right? So, is it just conversations? Is it tools? Is it you know? It's a great point, and and I think you know when you think back to your professional experience, academic background, you know, where have you been given tools to to do that? Where have you been given opportunities to be vulnerable in that way? Where's where's the need been, mm-hmm. perhaps? to be vulnerable in that way. And then all of a sudden, some random coach is saying, okay, go, time to be vulnerable. Right. And that's right. not, not an easy thing to do. So it's really about you know, creating rapport, yeah. you know, expecting them to understand that your value isn't fair. So there's got to be a, an opportunity to really discuss what their challenges are or their goals and say, look, we're gonna, I'm on your team. We're yeah. going to get through this together. We're going to get to it together. 
And I would say until recently in the legal profession, the focus has usually not been on the lawyer, the individual, right? It's on the clients, the substantive law, but there's been a shift. And have you seen more lawyers more willing to open up as a result of this shift towards you know the focus on mental health? Yes, 100%. Yeah, I think as the focus has now shifted more heavily to you know well-being and mm-hmm. mental health, mm-hmm. you know, I know some companies are giving access to things like BetterHelp for example. Mm. And I'm starting to see more organizations, you know, in the legal profession and beyond starting to offer coaching, not as a punitive thing, Mm -hmm. but actually as a benefit. Look, we see the value in you. We value you. We want to develop you. We want to see you grow. And here's a way to do that. Coaching is no longer for the broken toys. This is not something that coaches don't swoop in and then all of a sudden patch people up. Right. It's actually, to get back to Jeff's question, was this idea, actually, the, those who are already having these conversations are already thinking about ways to level up, those end up being often the best, most receptive right. clients. Sure. Wow. It's fascinating. I, I, I'm like so curious about the whole thing. And I was, I was thinking about, like, Brad, I think you'd be a good coach, but... What is the value of, I'm shifting gears a tiny bit, like the certification process? Because I'm wondering, you know, if Brett said he wanted to go be a coach tomorrow, I'm sure he'd be very good at it, but he doesn't have the training. So you've, you've gone through this training, you have a bunch of certifications, I'm sure that you tap into them from time to time. But is there a risk in like going to a coach that's not certified versus, you know, versus someone like you that, it, that does have the certification? I'm going to get a little woo-woo for a minute. All right. We're down for we're down for we we're not afraid. I really believe, and this is through my years of coaching and my various leadership roles, mm-hmm. years of experience in the professional world, and then most re- most recently years of coaching. It's really about who you're being as a person and as a coach to really show up and have an impact. I could wipe out all the certifications. I could wipe out my degrees, but being able to curate my experiences and the people I've interacted with. I've taken a piece of all of those conversations. And when I talk about my my toolkit, it's not the certifications. It's every piece of those conversations, every challenging moment, every win, that's what's in the tool bag. And I get to pull that out every time I'm in conversation with someone, and that's the value. I imagine you're learning along the way too. Oh, so much. Right. So some of those tools right, are from your clients as you coach them yeah. over time. I just got chills thinking about it. I mean, and yeah. 100%. I mean, I get so inspired by my clients. They're such impressive, accomplished professionals and you know, human beings. That's why I love working with these individuals. They're high achieving, they're high performing, they, they're ambitious. They want to level up. They want to be their best self always in work and outside of work. And through those conversations, I grow. Immensely right. and have grown. I right. mean, the coach I was six months ago is not the coach I am today, and you know, so on and so on. Right. By the way, I think you just answered kind of one of the questions I asked earlier about who, like, who needs a coach. It's like anyone that wants to be their best self, either at work or at home or both, or in some yeah. way. If you think you could be, you know, you can be a, you know, the best version of you that you can be. Yeah. And you're helping people get there. I would think. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. That the, the people who call you affirmatively, who seek you out are going to be the people that may be most receptive as opposed to the people who, let's say a, a boss or a, an owner of a company says, you, sir, are need to be coached. And I'm hiring a coach and this is your coach. Here's Hakeem. He's going to be your coach. Right. I would think there's a little bit, would be a little more barrier. Do you have those situations where you get hired by a company to coach a particular person or people? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a great question. And I think it's all about approach. 
Yeah. You know, if a leader comes to someone and says, I'm getting you a coach and then walks out the office, you're left there making all kinds of stories in your head about why am I getting a coach? Right. What did I do right. wrong? What did I do wrong? Right. Versus saying, look, I just wanted to take this minute to tell you how much we value you. And I've seen you grow over the last six months and a year. And I think that, you know, you show a lot of promise. And I think there's a, there's an opportunity for you to really grow here in this firm or this company. I'd like to offer you, I sort of jokingly say the gift of coaching. Sure. And when it's framed that way, and of course you don't have to use the cheesy gift of coaching line, but but the gift of coaching sends a different message in that, wow, I'm, I'm being seen. And I did a presentation when I was at the university of Miami about adding value and feeling valued and how important it is for both of those things to exist. And Adding I think, value and be, okay. Yeah. I'm just following you. Yeah, and I think that that's a gesture. Can I, can't give you a big fat bonus, can't give you a fancy new title, but I see you, and I value you, and I'd like to give you this opportunity to grow yourself. That's fantastic. And, and I think, you know, if obviously it has a lot more meaning perhaps to the recipient if the, if the leader says... I've gone through this, or I am mm. continuing to go through this. I am being coached, and I want you to benefit from that too. Yeah, I think when you can share your experience having been coached, right. there are a lot of coaches out there who are anti-being coached or investing in themselves in coaching. I'm thinking, how can you go out there and coach right. other people if <laughs> right. you don't see the value right. 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 in being coached and yeah. investing in yourself? How, right. how can it's you? It's like having a physical trainer who just not you know, <laughs> taking fit, care of themselves in any way. Right. 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 Yeah. And I think that, especially for leaders, for them to recognize and to model, Mm -hmm. this is the other sort of leading by example piece, model that they value that and that they're doing it themselves, it sends a message, you know, this is, comes a cultural thing. Look, maybe I'm not out of a coach, but I'm constantly leveling up. I'm constantly looking to better myself. I'm learning new things. Mm -hmm. And others around you are inspired to do that too. Great. I assume it's not it's not a one size fits all coaching. But is there a sort of a traditional way in which a coaching relationship starts? And then I'm actually really looking for the end. But let's for let's talk about the beginning first. Yeah. So it's a very easy question. What's up? <laughs> I mean, that's that's how I usually start my yeah. sessions. What's going on with you? When I first started coaching, I really was committed to this idea of creating structure around my coaching. And session one is going to be on difficult conversations. And session two is going to be on managing conflict. And look, people at the level of where I'm coaching, they want to talk about what's present for them. And they want to have that time right. that they've paid for to resolve or to address or to discuss or to philosophize right. about whatever it is that's coming up for them. So for me to say, okay, sorry, today's lesson actually the is... Topic. Right. is doing Something them a service. Right. Yeah. So ultimately, I start the coaching relationship on session one with, so what's your big goal? Or what's your big challenge? Mm-hmm. That's what we're going to get after. Where we go from there is wild. That's the most fun. I think you said it earlier, you have to meet them where they are. Exactly. Yeah, right? And so that's a large part of coaching because yep. you have an idea of a topic, but you come in and they have this big issue that they need to, they need to discuss. Yeah. Right. So the question then is, you know, when does it end? How does it end? Is there, you know, we start working with a coach. How do you know you're finished? Are you ever finished? Quick answer is whenever finished. I mean, it doesn't have to be with me, but my hope is that all of my clients go on to continue that work, having created and reconditioned themselves, you know, to do this on a daily basis. I think the challenge is once you start peeling back layers, you start finding things that 
you're more excited, not fearful about. Once you once you're in that coaching relationship and you feel comfortable and you feel safe, when you start peeling back those layers, you get excited because you're like, "Ooh, there's another one. There's another one." And these are new areas where you can level up. I didn't even know. I mean, blind spots, talking about blind spots and leadership, that's a real challenge when you're at a certain level mm-hmm. to identify your own blind spots. You need somebody, you know, a great partnership, for example, to be able to say, look, I see you, I value you, I really appreciate you. Can I offer you some constructive feedback? Can I, op- can I offer you an observation? And I get to do that with my clients. I know this is kind of maybe a weird question, but how often do you meet with your clients or suggest meet with, you know, with your clients on a typical basis? I know there may be some intervening causes that require more, but, but typically, are you finding remote better than in-person or in-person better than remote? How are you handling that? Yeah. So I typically offer new clients an option of, look, are we trying to address something immediate? This is a real problem for you every day at the office and you need to resolve this or there's there's something that you want to accomplish short term? If so, let's get after it and let's meet every week. If this is, I'm looking for sort of transformation, I'm looking for mm-hmm. insight, I'm looking for opportunities away, you know, opportunities for me to level up sort of gradually over time, we can do every other week. I'm flexible. What I find is that the clients I work with are busy people. So I really... I'm insistent, though, that we create a day and time that we can plan to meet, whether it's every week or every other week, so that they know this is coming and that we keep to a schedule and they keep to the commitment. Because commitment throughout coaching is a big piece. I don't give homework. I don't do exercises. We are busy enough people as it is. But that commitment piece is important. Mm. And it's commitment to being open and honest and to explore and try new things outside of our 60-minute session. Some virtual, some in live, live, and do you have a? Yeah, preference? I've been doing more live. I've been doing more live lately, which is nice. I have a client that's that's local, and we go to a park and we walk for sixty minutes. So it's it's I amazing. Love that. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Yeah, it's yeah. really nice. And again, silver lining of a very challenging, disruptive couple of years with COVID, obviously, sure. was that everyone hopped on Zoom. So I went from a local coach to an international coach. I had clients in the Philippines, in the UK, all over the US, mm. and desensitize people a little bit to hopping on a video call with somebody and everyone was so familiar with it that I joked that prior to COVID, if I had told a client, ah, well, I'm sorry, I'm not going to be able to meet with you in person. I'm going to send you a Zoom link. They'd say, what am I paying for? Right. right. Versus now, if I said, you know, I'd love to meet you in person. They'd be like, ah, can't you send me a Zoom link? <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's funny. I mean, having, having gone through coaching, used coaches, I find in person to be much more effective than Zoom. There's, For me, there is an energy exchange. There's just, I mean, it's there is something different. A focus, and, an energy exchange. You know, you get a feeling when you're in the room, right? right? Or, or walk. I mean, I'd love that. Walking in a park would be, yeah, that's that's, that's the idea. I love, yeah. it. but you know, yeah. and I think that there there is even a part of people who feel like they can hide behind their computer screens a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's, it's really important that I break through that quickly. Because otherwise, they're giving me a version of themselves. Even though I can see them, cameras on, you know, we're still talking and we're one on one. Some clients still feel like they can hold back a little bit, and that I can't see them. So letting them know I see you and it's okay, and that's what this is for, gets them to open up a little bit. And then once they do, we can actually get after it you know, and do the work that we're, we're there to do. That's great. I love this, Hakeem. I, I could talk about coaching all day long, but. Or about famous. 
More about famous, yeah. No, I want to hear famous. So that I mean, is there before we let before we wrap Hakeem go? We just we need to dive into this for a second. Is there somewhere where where our listener or we can find any recordings? God, I hope not. <laughs> and don't go googling me. You'll find all kinds of weird stuff from my stunt and acting days. I mean, it's, well, we didn't. Wait, 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 wait. We didn't even I try. We got that. stuck in middle school. I don't know what happened. <laughs> what do you mean we jumped to the keys and famous? Can we wait? Can we briefly? You were. In stunt, I had been acting. I had been bitten by the acting bug when I left. I went to graduate school at Indiana University, and mm-hmm. when I got done, I said, "I don't know if I want to do this whole work thing just yet." Fair. And came down, got a couple of agents down here, and was doing some advanced auto parts commercials and some feature films, and was a stand-in on one feature film. And uh, the director said, "Look, this this guy you're standing in for isn't going to fall down the stairs, but we need someone to. Are you up for it?" I said, yeah, sure. That was, uh... So they, they strapped me up and pushed me down the stairs. And they said, well, you fell pretty well. How about you do some more stunt stuff? And next thing I knew, I was doing stunt driving for Mario on El Cuerpo de Desero. Wow. And doing Spanish cool. soap operas and SWAT leader. And I even had some speaking lines as a non-Spanish speaker, which oh was amazing. Gosh. So, Wow. Good stuff. What a, what a crazy it's life a, so yeah, far. Yeah, it really huh? is very fascinating. Fascinating. Yeah, really. If you enjoyed the show, if you didn't enjoy the show, then I don't know what's wrong with you. But if you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, share it with your friends, give us a review. Following the show and subscribing helps other people find the show and it helps us grow and helps us learn and have wonderful guests like Hakeem on here and helps us produce better content for you and helps Nelson stay happy. Nelson, thank you. Hakeem, this was great. Thanks. Thanks, Thanks, Hakeem. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Thank you, Nelson. Jeff? Brett? No, thank you. Except you're welcome. <laughs> Thank you. For more information on this show and other resources, visit fastamron.com and connect with us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram at fastamron.